All right. Hello, and welcome to the Bootstrapped Experience podcast. Each week, me and Bjorn talk about running our SaaS businesses. Hey, Bjorn, what have you been up to? Yeah, it's been a couple of weeks since we last spoke. <laughs> it doesn't feel like the most productive couple of weeks I've ever had, but uh, it's been nice. Like a week ago, the sun was out for sort of real springtime. So we found a bunch of other stuff. We went to plant nurseries and all this type of thing. And then this week has been raining all week, so I've got a bit more work done. But yeah, it's been good. We've done the marketing campaign, did some coding work, updated the partner program and stuff, but we can dig into those. How you been? Good. Yeah, same. I'm kind of getting used to this English weather where you sort of do have to plan your weeks around if you can go outside or not. Yeah, the last like two weeks have been pretty much indoor weather here, so I've been getting a lot done. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to Europe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a funny Danish saying. It's like, there's no bad weather, only bad clothing. Right. <laughs> yeah. I cannot get the hang of like, either I'm like bundled up like the kid from a Christmas story and it's like 70 degrees out or I wear a sweater and freeze all day. Like I cannot get the hang of dressing for the weather here. It's so funny. Yeah. You got to plan ahead. <laughs> yeah. But no, it's been all right. Yeah, what have you been up to? Well, this week, mostly been working on content. So I think I, last time we did this, I was talking about SEO content, and I've been working on that. And it's been kind of a nightmare. So what I realized is that I hate writing, which is kind of a problem when you want to write SEO content. So <laughs> so this week, I, I set out, and like, I'm going to write sort of a quick start guide, you know, 1,000 to 1,500 words on localizing a Laravel app. Well, I'm like 12 hours into this article. And like, <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And well, I think it's done. But so I shifted, I would say, a few hours into this. I said, I can't, I can't do this again. Like, this is horrible. So I've kind of been documenting everything that went into making this article. So it's a, it's a little more than just the article. I needed like a header image. I wanted like a downloadable cheat sheet for it. All this kind of stuff. And now, I guess I kind of started thinking, like, how, how could I possibly enjoy this? And I think the answer is I can't, but I don't mind the planning of it. So I think this is a job best hired out for. So I'm kind of documenting everything. I'm going to get this first article out and then hopefully, fingers crossed, never do it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can definitely feel you on that. Like, I've also tried to push myself to write articles and I found I didn't enjoy it either, right? And I've, I've just, I don't know. Not sure if it's growing up speaking two different languages and ch sort of changing halfway along and having to learn English and all that type of thing. But I've just never enjoyed writing. But, but at the same time, like there's definitely value in doing SEO content, right? And you've probably got lots of ideas of how to do it or like what things you want to write about. So if you can like give somebody a blueprint, I think it's a, that's what we've started doing. And it's been so much better. And then you can come in as the editor afterwards and, and just sort of touch it up and make sure that anything more technical or something for our side, like more Shopify related. We can make sure that that makes sense towards the Shopify audience and the right terminologies used and that type of thing. But when you say you're doing like a blueprint, is that like the different elements that you'll need for each article, how to build up like I want a H1, I want these many H2s and that type of thing or how you... Well, what I'm going to do, and I haven't really done it yet because I just sort of finished the article about 15 minutes before we started this podcast where I'm like, I'm actually done. But I just want to follow the structure of that article. So this is sort of everything you need to do to localize a Laravel application. And I think that if I sort of distill that into a framework for writing about any other framework, so Ruby on Rails, React, whatever, I'm not an SEO expert to the point where I particularly care too much about H1s and H2s as long as the basics are there. Um, 
but I think it'll work. What I found too, so I signed up for Ahrefs and been playing around with that. Such a cool thing. And what I'm finding is like the keywords I'm going after are not super competitive. I think I should be able to rank for them without too much effort. Plus, the other thing too is I've gotten some good press on Translate CI. So I've actually got decent domain authority. And yeah, I think it should be pretty doable. So I'm, I'm, I really want to go down this route. I just, I cannot mentally handle doing it myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. So I see also that you take the same sort of template and you then do that for the different types of technologies that you want to write the same article for, right? So like how to translate a Rails app or... Yeah, so I guess kind of my next step, I guess what I'm thinking about is like, I need to come up with a budget per article. So this would be like article, cheat sheet, graphic, whatever. And it sounds like it might be a little expensive, but I guess unless I value my time at like $3 an hour, like I can't lose time. Like I'm so slow at this. I can't lose money by outsourcing it. (laughs) Yeah. And it's cheaper, at least cheaper for us than we thought it would be, right? So it just felt like one of these no-brainers, like why haven't we done this before or given it to somebody else? That's awesome. It's kind of funny than the last thing. And I, well, I mean, I suppose I could outsource it. So I wanted to hire a developer, but I realized that I guess I did a little research and they kind of say your blog should be like as a subdirectory of your main domain, not a subdomain, which actually turned out to be like kind of a major undertaking that required me to move the sort of landing page for Translate CI into the blog framework I'm using, which is Datamic, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so you do it the other way around. You don't add the blog to your website, but website to your blog. Yeah, and I kind of try, I tried to do it that way at first and was messing around with Nginx config and all this. I was like, you know, I think it would be easier if I just put on some music and just copy-paste stuff for an hour, and that seems to have worked, but yeah. Yeah, you can get a lot done by a bunch of copy-paste. Right, <laughs> exactly. What are you doing for the graphics and stuff? Are you creating those yourself? or? Yeah, so what I did, I originally was just going to kind of find someone on Fiverr or something. And then I started looking at some other blogs for inspiration. I realized that SaaS blog images generally suck. I was like, yeah, you know what? I think I can actually do this really easily. <laughs> so <laughs> The bar is set low. Yeah, so I decided to just mess around in Canva for a few minutes and see if I could come up with something decent in like 15 minutes. And I did. I, I made a, um, like a template I can just use going forward. Should be pretty easy, I think. Yeah, exactly. And I don't need to overthink it sometimes, right? But we're just uh, curious. We've just been looking to outsource our graphics work. So we spend a bunch of time on graphics. And it's because we, we have a particular look that we want for things, right? But we end up spending way too much time and we have you know, a lot of apps. Um, so there's a lot of app store screenshots, a lot of uh, in-app uh, images for our website. So we've just got a bunch of graphics that need to be done. And it just takes forever if we're going to do something all the time ourselves. So we've just been looking at these different services that do like graphics on demand. We're just trying one out at the moment. It's called Penji, I think it's called. Penji.com, yeah. And it looks pretty pretty cool, yeah. I used many pixels a few years ago. I just had a big backlog of stuff I needed and I was like, let me use these for a month or two. And uh, it was great. I mean, it was really cool because I don't know how yours works, but you worked with the same couple of designers and they got to know your brand. And so it was really nice. Like that was always the problem I had with hiring off of Fiverr or whatever is they kind of have to get acquainted with everything. Exactly. Yeah, that was our thinking as well because we'd sort of lined up, okay, we want to try out people from Fiverr. We want to try out a couple of diff- these different services and see which one works and check the pricing and everything else. But yeah, I think we pretty much like almost straight away realized it'd be better if we just had a company 
that takes care of if somebody's away, then somebody else can jump in and you can upload your sort of brand assets. And here's the inspiration every designer should look at if they're going to be creating something for us. And it just seems a bit more controlled and long-term sort of thing. Hopefully you get the same designer each time, but even if you need something and they're not available, somebody else should be able to jump in and look at all the previous work and everything else, which I think is harder if you find somebody on Fiverr. Yeah, super handy. That's what I always worried about with Fiverr too. It's like, I mean, I see sometimes I'll ask people, I'll see these great illustrations on a SaaS landing page or whatever, and I'll ask them, where'd you get those? And they say, oh, Fiverr, which that's great. But then I worry, like, are you going to be able to get this person again if you need new illustrations or whatever? So I do kind of like the idea of an agency. Yeah, exactly. And if I only had a single app, then I think it'd be fine, right? Because you can just swap them all out with a new style. But if you've got four different products and they all need to be redone, or you can't just change style all of a sudden, right? Without it looking a bit silly. So we're definitely going for like longer term stuff, but we've only just submitted the first sort of job to them. So we haven't got anything back yet, but it should be interesting to see how it turns out. Yeah. I, um, yeah. I think this whole content debacle has had me thinking a lot more about outsourcing and hiring. And I realized like, as I was doing this, I was just kind of writing down everything in like a note that I've been working on. And I realized how much of what I do is probably silly that I'm doing it. I don't know what the answer to that is necessarily. Like, I can't just, unfortunately, I can't just hire someone to live my work life, but. You kind of can, you know? I get it. <laughs> have you read that book before the exit? I think we might have talked about it. I did, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Really good. You know, the whole thought about hiring a mediocre CEO. That's true, yeah. So you just basically hire somebody that's, they might not be great, but they're going to keep the wheels on and keep it moving forward and stuff. Yeah, I guess I should say I don't, I don't have the revenue to outsource my work life right now. Okay. <laughs> that's fair enough, yeah. Yeah. So on the content, like, have you got a pipeline of stuff that you want to do then? You've got this first article and then... Yeah, I do. I, I think first up, and I think it totally makes sense and it will be good, is just sort of quick guides for all the major frameworks with downloadable cheat sheets. I think that'd be a really nice, quick thing I can get done in the next couple of months as long as I can hire for it. Yeah, exactly. That makes sense. And even the cheat sheets, that's something you could dish out to a designer to make it look nice, right? Yeah, so I did I did do that for Fiverr. So I sort of wrote it and then just sent it to like one of those like infographic people on Fiverr and got back a really nice looking cheat sheet, yeah. Ah, nice. Yeah, I look forward to seeing it. It's not live yet, right? No, it should be, by the time this goes live, the uh, blog should be out. Ah, cool, nice. I remember talking last time we were planning our first marketing campaign and that's now live. So it ran last week and this week is Friday today. So it's had sort of all the emails have gone out now and all the social posts and stuff and our Facebook ads are running. But it's been interesting to, it's been cool to see a proper marketing campaign go out. I guess the emails probably had less impact than we were hoping for. But I think also we weren't, it was more like, hey, a reminder, we're here or we've got this other app without really having like a strong offer in it to sort of get people to like, ah, 50% off. That wasn't what it was like. But uh, maybe that's worth playing around with next time. But yeah, it's been good fun. And the, the Facebook ads, it took a bit to get them up and running. We, we use Intercom for all our customer communication and incoming inboxes and everything else. So it's like our CRM. And we found a tool. We wanted to get those lists over into, like hashed over into Facebook so that you could target, retarget people, right? And then there's like a tool that's called Ad Espresso. I'm not going to put it in the show notes because it didn't work. But anyway, you can basically choose a list in so you can add filters in Intercom and save those filters. And then you can say, right, I want this list to be synced over to a Facebook audience. So you could say, right, here's all the, my users for this particular app. 
And these are the ones that have paid. So you can exclude those from your marketing campaign. But it just never worked. We could create it and it looked like there was information being synced over and everything. But the ads never started showing, so there's never any impressions. Something to do with their matching of, does this match up to an actual person? Yeah, so then eventually I manually... No, at the same time as we set it up, I added a pixel to all of the App Store listings, right? So a Facebook pixel. And then in the apps also added Facebook pixels there. So even people that weren't targeted by our marketing campaign or anything else, we could start collecting people that have seen this particular app listing, right? And so we use those as our audience targeting lists so that we can retarget to these people that have, even if they've gone to app A, we can retarget them with ads for app C, right? So they just need to fire one of the pixels and each app has its own pixel sort of thing. But yeah, so that's been running. Finally, once I got the audiences worked out, the ads started delivering and, and it was cool to see like the clicks and everything and, and people actually click on our ad. <laughs> We've got like uh, six purchases or something which the ROI is, is a bit negative at the moment. <laughs> but now we've just changed the ad to start optimizing for purchases before we were optimizing for like clicks um, just to get people over. But then I've figured out it doesn't make sense to pay for people to click it if they don't end up buying. So, so we've changed the, the target there. But yeah, it would be interesting. be interesting to see how it learns, right? Because We've set up like a conversion event in the app. So when they buy a template, for example, we'll fire that on the, the Facebook pixel so that Facebook knows that this person was, you know, have actually purchased the product. So then they can build up, retarget people that look similar to that person who are within our retargeting universe sort of thing. So selectively retargeting against the people that have visited one of our properties. So none of it is trying to find new audiences yet. I was going to say this. So the main marketing campaign, the thrust of it is sort of cross-selling your apps, right? So you're going after people that have purchased one of your apps previously. Yeah. Or actually just installed one of our apps, but then excluding the ones that have already purchased this app. So yeah, we're not only retargeting people that went to the listing for this particular app, but all of the other people that are visiting any of our other apps as well, which makes the audience quite a lot bigger. So I know you're, you're kind of making a big marketing push this year and doing these marketing campaigns. Like, how confident do you feel about Shopify App Store marketing at the moment? Like, I don't know if I'm just seeing doom and gloom because it's what gets engagement or whatever, but I just, I, I see a lot of people very sort of unhappy or, or worried about what's going on with the App Store. Yeah, I'd argue that the App Store ads don't actually really help at all, right? I'd say it's self-fulfilling prophecy. I would love to go back to the old App Store like it was a couple of years ago. Before they released ads, I think the App Store worked really well where it was all based on ranking. And I think that's easy for me to say because I've got well-established apps with lots of reviews, right? I think at that time, it was harder for new apps to come in and, and make a, a dent. But at the same time, you saw new good apps getting lifted up the ranks and people could enter in and have quite a business running. Yeah, I mean, I would say I was quite a bit later than you to the App Store. I ranked number one for my keywords eventually. It was just a matter of plugging away. And I never really felt like I was at a disadvantage. I, I will say I felt like I was at a disadvantage when they started the ads beta because I wasn't in it and people were bidding on my app name. So Yeah, and I think, I don't know, like fair enough, but if they just policed it better, like you shouldn't be able to bid on irrelevant things. Yeah, they do have some relevance whether your app will get shown or whatever, but if you look at the actual results shown on the page, half of it isn't relevant, right? So the relevance score doesn't filter people out. It just makes them less likely to show up. And then all these, you know, the new layout 
just seems bonkers. Like I've seen installs sort of not plateau. They, we've managed to sort of get it going upwards again, but pretty close to plateauing for a while. Each time that Shopify rolled out any of these app store changes, it just it feels like they're making changes for change's sake. So that's what I was wondering. I mean, it might seem like that to us. I wonder if they're optimizing for something that's maybe not in a small developer's best interest that we're just not understanding. And I don't know. Like maybe we just have competing incentives here. Yeah, and I mean that's fair enough, but. Yeah, I'd love to know what they're optimizing for. I think that they're optimizing for, did the merchant come to the App Store and install a app? And I think that's as simple as that, right? So they're just throwing the most likely apps at people to say, install an app. And then all the changes and A-B tests they're running optimizes for that, right? Just get them to install an app, doesn't matter which one, right? So whether the person found the app they were looking at or they got distracted by all this, uh, you know, all these different sections and things. But at least you can see that the categorization, like the category, people browsing around the app store and just finding your app has gone way down. So search is king. I don't know. It just, yeah, I think everyone that I talk to at least all have sort of a similar feeling. And it's like they're just wrecking it for themselves. You know, a couple of apps win, but the majority loses. Well, I mean, and I guess that just means it's, it's more important than ever to market outside of the app store, which is what we've always dreaded. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what we're trying to do now and what we've always been spoiled on is that Shopify just brought a bunch of traffic to us, right? That was crazy. I mean, I, I can't think of any other SaaS I've ever heard of that I had a paying customer the first hour my app went live on the App Store with no marketing effort. I mean, that's incredible. Like, that's such a cool thing. So yeah, I mean, hopefully, I guess they have to optimize for merchant experience too. And my app was not a good merchant experience that first day. But <laughs> so I kind of understand, like, maybe they want to steer people towards the established apps they know they're going to have a good time with. Yeah, yeah. But it seems to go against what they sort of say that they're trying to do, right? So they generally say, we want to democratize and make it easier for people to find different solutions and things. Yeah, doom and gloom. <laughs> I miss the yeah. Shopify app store. I miss marketing there. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I've still got a good compared to you where you've got to go out and actually find different places. Oh, that's crazy. And how's that going? Are you seeing any growth without you having to do sponsorships and stuff? Or is there any sort of organic? I'm actually surprised where I'm at. I mean, it's it's fairly low, but I'm getting, you know, around 60 visitors a day. That's all right. Would, yeah, I'm pretty happy with that. I mean, obviously I'd like to grow it, but Considering I had no idea how I was going to get any visitors, like 60 a day, I'm pretty cool with that. That's all right. And are you converting any of them or is it... Uh, yeah, um, yeah, I'm averaging about one sign-up a day and then around 20% of them are eventually paying. That's all right. Yeah, so I mean, I guess what it boils down to is right now I'm getting about one customer a week. Which, you know, I'd like to grow that. It's not quite there yet, but it's good and it's letting me kind of work out... The kinks in the app, like, is getting better. I'm able to support people better. That's because that's the other thing. It's still at a point. I feel like it's getting better right now, but for the first several months, it was like every customer was a huge support load because I had to sort of make things work specifically for them or support their framework or whatever. That's that's lessening now. People, I'm I'm actually getting some people that are able to just self serve through the whole thing without talking to me and get what they want out of it, which is awesome. Yeah, that also means the products sort of becoming more mature and I'm sure your conversion will go higher the more that they can self-serve, right? Because only the people that really, really want to go through are going to contact you and get you to build. You know what I mean? Like at the start, people get in contact and say, hey, 
it'd be great if we could do this, but only a certain percentage of people are actually going to do that. So one thing I thought was interesting was like, I know we've talked on here, like not a lot of people are connecting their Git repo. So sort of to me, that was the big problem. Only like 10% of people or something were connecting their Git repo um, or 20%, whatever. So I switched from using GitHub for OAuth to being a full-fledged GitHub app that allows them to have like much finer grained permissions on what I have access to and all that. And that number went up to about 50%. People connect the Git repo. But the people that continued after that, exactly the same. So I'm wondering if there's a problem on sort of the project create page. Maybe it's not quite easy enough. So I probably just need to look at some UX stuff and figure out what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, is it retrieving the keys as they expect it to, right? Because then on the project page, if it's showing half the keys that you're going to get translated or something with I don't know if that's a possibility. That's the weird thing. They're not even getting to that point. So they're connecting Git, and then they're not actually saying, oh, and here's the repo I want to translate. Yeah, right. So okay. part two of that, yeah. Ah, yeah, okay. And they do just, to be fair, they do just kind of get presented with a big form, and maybe it's too much. Maybe they need a little bit of a wizard type yeah. walkthrough. I can remember, actually, the, yeah, because I was one of the first people to go through it. I remember it, it took a bit, because you're also asking, like, hey, what's some, give some tips to the translator and stuff like that. So maybe split it into two of like, here's the base information I need and here's what I need to create a new project. Or or to say like, hey, we found this many, I can't remember the exact screen that you've got already, but like to break it down into more a two-step process, like you're saying, and then also presenting more information to me, like, hey, we found this many keys or, yeah. But I guess that happens after the fact, right? Once you submit it. I mean, I guess it doesn't have to. The process is really quick. Like you could even show it as they're going through the form. Yeah, to give them sort of, hey, it's this many keys found. But yeah, if you can, because I guess one of the things was you didn't actually enter the app until you filled out that form, right? Like you don't feel like you've landed on the main page and I get to click, hey, create a project. So maybe it's just a matter of landing them in the app, giving them a blank slate with a big create project button here. And once they click that, then you present this form. So you decouple the sign up to the creation of the first project. Yeah, I like that. Because I've been looking at some continuous integration SaaS businesses just for like UX inspiration. Because some of them are definitely like mine. And you know, it's funny, I remember like there's one that's like pretty similar to mine in that you get a big form. And I remember actually signing up for that years ago and not getting through it. <laughs> so I think it's a pretty good indication that I've got some UX problems for the onboarding. Yeah, exactly. Or maybe you can also split it up, like if you, instead of saying, hey, give the translator some info about the translation law, like anything that would be helpful to them, then you have like maybe a describe the app sort of thing in one, two short sentences or something. And then you have, so that they have a bit of background info and you can save that for the next time that they do a project. Instead of like, what do you want to tell the translator right now? You sort of make it more of a, hey, give me a, a quick rundown of what this product is. And then when they're going to submit a quote or whatever, then they can sort of say, hey, send anything else along to the to the translator. What's worth knowing about this particular translation? I'm not sure. Yeah, no, that's a fantastic idea. I think that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, I'm on the form now. I've just logged in. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe it's, it's it's boring for people listening along, but uh, yeah, sign up and have a look around. It's cool. Yeah, but yeah, like it's a long form, right? It sure is, yeah. Yeah, and then maybe you can just split it up into like the project type and stop there or ignore directories and then split it into another one. But I think the notes one, also because it's a really big box, it feels like, oh, I've got to give a lot of instructions here. So if you make the box smaller, I'll feel like I have to fill it in with less information. 
That's true, because you don't need a lot. But I think I literally just did whatever text area size was the default and didn't really think about it. So it totally yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, I gotta sit down and write a thousand words. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if yeah, you just sure. make that smaller, see what happens. I think that's like something you could do really, really quick. Yeah. But I like the form. I, I think it looks good and it's nice and simple and, and stuff, right? So it looks long because of the long, how would you say, destination languages list, right? So you can or the languages that you want to translate into. So if you've got a way to like split it out. That's an interesting idea too. Or place half the list, like place it side by side, something like that, just to make it look less anyway. <laughs> no, that definitely makes sense. Yeah, there is a fair bit of scrolling on that page, even though a good part of it is just the destination language. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So maybe just make it like visually shorter and maybe people will feel like it'll be less, not intimidating is the wrong word, but like, yeah, it will feel smaller uh, task. I like that. It's a good couple of things I can do today-ish and yeah, see what it does. <laughs> probably won't make a difference, but I guess it's right. always worth experimenting. Worth trying. Like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We did some updates to our partner program earlier this week. No. Yeah. On Friday, maybe. Yeah, it was Friday last week. Getting the like the design more back into Shopify's latest design with the green instead of purple sort of Polaris colors and cleaned it up a bit and made it look a bit more modern. But that was a fun little Friday afternoon task, you know, just taking something existing and making it look better, changing out the icons and stuff. And yeah, it was a good, it's one of these things where you spend two hours on, you go, wow, I should have done this a long time ago. And it's time well spent, you know what I mean? Like bang for your buck. And we've got all these new logos and everything else. So we had to update it with that. And yeah, I was pretty, pretty happy. But it's funny, you come back to an app, like I don't work on the partner program that often. It works pretty well like it is. When you come back, sometimes you look at your own code and go, oh, wow, whoever wrote this, that was smart. Or, oh, idiot. <laughs> yeah, I find it hard to look at it and go, oh, yeah, I remember writing that. Um, I generally don't. It's amazing. But yeah, good fun. That's one of those things. Uh, partner program, we want to start pushing it a bit more as well because it, it's been really good once you get a, a loyal partner. Um, they make some money and we get our app out to more people. Yeah, I always enjoy doing the partner stuff. Yeah, exactly. And they're always nice to chat to if they have a question and they get it. So yeah, we'd like to push that a bit more. But then it makes sense that we've up, spent a bit of time giving it a bit of love. That's one thing I need to think about, but I feel like it's like too far down on my list. And I guess it was for you for a long time. It's just having a cohesive visual look to everything. Like It's really funny now that I've got like the marketing site, the blog, the docs, the actual app itself. Like I realized like this is so bad, but I'm almost using like the default color scheme of whatever framework I use to build that thing. They all look just a little different from each other. <laughs> like one of these days I just need to spend like the six hours or whatever and get it all in line and cohesive. And yeah, exactly. I think it makes a big difference that there is a cohesive brand across the board. Maybe we spend too much time on it, but sometimes we get more done if we just went, ah, find a stock image somewhere and throw it up, right? It's also the part that makes it fun to run a company that you can have your own little voice out there. For sure. Well, hopefully, yeah, hopefully the design company you're using should help with a lot of that too, just keeping things consistent. Yeah, exactly. That's sort of the the hope behind it. Our website needs some new like uh, product screenshots and stuff as well, or product presentations, which is what we're going to use a lot for them. But the first heist we actually gave them was the welcome flow in Order Printer Pro. So when you log in, there's like a a little slideshow, I guess you could call it. Much like you have on mobile apps where you sort of go through three steps and then and then we ask you to subscribe. So just redoing those images there. And it was nice, a simple sort of, you could show them something that's already there and then uh, 
there's only four images they need to create and we can easily provide some inspiration of how we want those images, like those pages to look. So it just felt like a really quick, easy way to test if the images we get back are, are good. If we gave the same task to four different companies, it'd be easy to look at them and say, right, which one do we prefer and how is the process and everything else? We don't want to give them too much upfront. So yeah, you'd mentioned you looked at a couple people from Fiverr, a couple design agencies. Did you like try, pick a bunch out and just give them a tiny project to try? We're just using this first one because we went through the sort of list and decided we don't want to use Fiverr because we want to have a company, right? And so we're looking at a few of these different sort of graphics on demand services. And then we just try them out in, how would you say, in serial. So one after the other. Because, hey, what if the first one works, right? Why? why you For sure, one? yeah. Yeah, so that's usually, <laughs> usually how I do things. If it works, it works. Move on. Yeah. Well, because I always liked hiring a bunch of people to do the same thing and kind of choose from there. Like, like this podcast is a good example. So I don't know if you remember, like I took like a one minute clip from the podcast when we decided we needed an actual editor instead of me doing a terrible job and um, took a one minute clip and sent to like 10 different people and chose the best. Yeah, I remember you sent like a few different ones, right? Where you could hear the difference between what they'd produced. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. I guess once you've done the design brief, it's easy to copy paste it over to another one, right? Well, I mean, yeah, but I guess these design companies, you got to hire them for a month. So it probably makes sense to do it. Yeah, they sort of start at $500 a month or something. Right. Yeah, you don't want to spend $12,000 to figure out which one's the best. Yeah, exactly. So we right. might as well try it one at a time. And, yeah. and I think we just chose the one that we thought we'd like their previous work stuff best. But of course, you never know if that's the design you're getting anyway. But yeah. This is part of my problem too with the outsourcing thing I've been talking about. So like I'll, I'll do the writing and the SEO stuff and try to get that. But it's like, as I'm looking through my list, and I think we've talked about this before with like virtual assistants and things like that. Like my problem is I need someone that can code, design, write, you know, and it's just like impossible. Like <laughs> anyone could do that. They've got their own, they own Google or whatever. Like they're not working for me. No, I know. <laughs> so, yeah, <that's- laughs> but I don't have like enough work to hire someone to just do the design, for example. Like, yeah, there's just not enough work for them. But I think that's where we're sort of, yeah, I think at the beginning, that's where piecemeal finding somebody to do one thing and then just getting them to do that. And it, obviously it adds a bit of overhead. And then you go to the stage where, I guess we are, where you'll have like an on-demand. We don't have work for a full-time position either. And then once you get huge, you've maybe got enough work and money to hire somebody full-time for it. But yeah, sometimes also the amount of time you spend explaining to somebody else what you want will actually, you know, like we were just, my wife and I were just talking about the app store images. We want to sort of give them, we've been looking at some examples and things and thinking, oh, we should update those. And maybe we should just send that off to these new graphic designers. But then we've got to collect all the, we've already got all the Figma files, right? For the last versions that we've made. And we've got a bunch of screenshots from our apps. So it's like a bunch of work in collecting all that up and giving it to somebody else and then explaining them what we actually want, right? So in some cases, I think for the, at least these App Store images where we just give them a, a quick touch up, it's actually faster for us to just to do it ourselves in our existing Figma files, right? I think it depends on the type of work that you're looking for. Yeah, that was kind of my thinking with those blog header images I mentioned. Like, I mean, I'm maybe going to do 10 of these guides and it's like, if it takes me three hours to sort of outsource it or whatever, like it's not, it's just not worth it. Yeah. <laughs> the fun of being able to do things, right? If I just didn't know how to do it, it'd be awesome because I'd just give it to somebody else. I'd just <laughs> right. pay somebody else to do it. But because you actually can sort of stumble through these processes. It's like, oh, I can do a shitty job fast, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
or maybe kid ourselves that we can do a decent job as well, right? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's been good enough so far. But I guess that's the fun part of doing these apps and stuff as well, is that you get to do a bunch of different things. It is cool, yeah. I mean, no day looks the same, that's for sure. No, and sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad, but I think most of the time I enjoy it. So, What do you got planned for next week then? More guides? Yeah, so <laughs> my main thing is I want to get this blog up. That should be Monday. I'm going to outsource, going to work on that. And then I am with a customer that's on the Shopify app store. They are testing specifically the ability to sort of keep their app listing up to date, translated and up to date. So yeah, I'm experimenting with that with them. They're sort of my beta user. If that goes well, I'm going to fix it up a little more, write docs and probably try to release it to uh, everyone. So I think that'd be cool. Okay. So like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they just create a GitHub repo with all the different parts of it. Yeah. And so that part's like fully functional. And then the next part I would like to do, and I'm just sort of thinking about how this could be done, is actually letting Translate CI scrape the app listing page to create that repo, which shouldn't be too bad, I don't think. I think that's actually the smaller piece of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the markup changes from time to time. And you see that happening in like App Store Analytics where you know, Shopify changed the markup on their side and then all of a sudden their scraper doesn't work quite as well. But it doesn't take much before it's up and running again. So I'd imagine any changes are minor. And I think the form fields are going to be pretty similar. Yeah, because it's funny, like because, well, partially because of this podcast and Twitter and stuff, a lot of my customers are app developers. And that's like a very common thing everyone wants. And, and it also stops people sometimes because like, well, yeah, I can get my app translate it, but I still got to deal with the app listing somehow. So, you know, it'd be good to support that, yeah. Yeah. I think I'm the other way around because I built all my apps without thinking translations into the UI, right? And I don't think it would take long to switch out all the strings to a translated version. But I think that's something we do when we move everything over to AppKit. So as I move each app over, we make sure that all the translations are there and everything else. And then at that point, that's where whatever you're building for the app listing will be super helpful. Also because the app listing in itself, like the UI you can maybe get away with doing like uh, machine learning translations on parts of it, right? But as far as the actual app listing, you really got to make sure that it's explained in a cohesive, and it's more like walls of text, right? And they're having a professional translator take care of it. I think that makes huge, huge sense. Yeah. And I think once I get the machine translation in there, that'll be nice to be able to sort of pick and choose what you're using humans for and machine. Yeah, and I think that'll be one of your edges because a lot of translations apps just go, oh, here, use Google Translate. We'll just make it easy for you. Whereas having a service that offers both will be like key because especially for things like your app store listing, you want to pay a real person to, to do it. Whereas if you've just updated, I don't know, you've added a new button in your app. It's like one thing that you've added and you need that one. Like there, it makes sense. Okay, give it to me in Google Translate and then ship it off to somebody to be translated professionally once I've made a larger change to my app. So say I redesign a page or something, right? Yeah, no, that makes sense, especially because one thing that is a little annoying is if you do a one-word change, a human is still involved, so you can't just push it out. Like At least there's a little bit of lag time there to get someone to yeah, actually exactly. translate it. And depending on how your app reacts to missing translation keys and stuff, right? Some will say, oh, translation missing or whatever. Yeah, it's crazy to me. I, you know, that's one thing I learned doing this. It surprised me because Laravel just gives you, if your main language is English, it just gives you the English string, which I'm generally okay with if I miss one. But yeah, some uh, full error page on a missing translation string, which is brutal. I think it depends what mode you've put your app into because there's ways of 
telling it also like if this particular language is missing, then fall back to this other language. And then you do another mapping saying, well, if that language is missing, fall back to English or whatever. You can do that in Rails as well. And then there's also like a mode for how it should treat missing keys. Like so it can raise or it can fall back or it can just show missing translation sort of thing. Gotcha, okay. It's funny, like I've got like just tons of like sort of practice repo or tutorial repos from all these different frameworks that I know just enough to sort of get them to work for Translate CI. And so I don't, I guess I don't quite understand the intricacies of, oh, I guess I'll have to learn for these guides. Yeah, exactly. I think that's where it'll come in handy, especially for for the Rails one at least. But uh, Yeah, for yeah, sure. Nice. But yeah, I think I'll definitely be up for using that. Should be good soon. Yeah, sounds good. All right. Let's leave it there on yeah, that uh, positive note. All right. Yeah. Right nice uh, nice chatting. Yeah, exactly. All right. <laughs> I'll talk to you soon. All right. See ya.